Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. The power is here. That's it. Yeah, because I was like, how do we get to the chorus from there? There's no chorus. The chorus is just basically that. That was the power of love by Huey Lewis and the news. It's pretty bad when we have to say the name of the song. Yeah, it's very, very bad. You are watching slash listening to the Command Zone podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. So today... We've got a pretty complicated and interesting topic. The stack, and specifically player priority, is one of the biggest and most unique features, I think, about Magic as a game. Most other games don't have something like this, a mechanic like this. Very complicated. You add in multiplayer in Commander, and it can all get pretty complicated. But knowing exactly how the stack and player priority works and how to use it properly to your advantage can be the difference between winning and losing a game. So today, we're going to be talking our way through all of that and so we have our good fan, fan, our good friend, Danny Simard here. Hopefully a fan too. Yes. <laughs> uh, hey Danny, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi. My name is Danny Simard. I live here in Los Angeles with you guys. Uh, I'm a level two judge. I've been playing Magic since I 1997, I think is the year. Uh, nice. Visions was brand new. Got back into it in 2014 and I've been a judge pretty much ever since. So, wow. D- Danny is one of the two judges that works on game nights. Uh, depending on which episode and availability, we'll use Danny or the other Danny, who yep. you might have seen in our behind-the-scenes episodes. Are all judges just named Danny? Evidently, they are. Uh, yes, it's one of the new criteria. <laughs> <I mean. laughs> uh, so Danny's here to keep us in check and make sure that we don't mess anything up, because we're a little nervous about giving the wrong information to everybody out there. But before we get into everything, we're going to talk about, obviously, the stack and player priority, but there's a bunch of specific cards that are going to come up as useful in different situations. And if you want to pick up any of those cards, yes. you should go to cardkingdom.com slash command zone. If you use that affiliate link to order all of your magic products, singles, anything at all, you really are supporting this show, Game Nights, all of our content. You're going to buy that stuff anyway. Just use the affiliate link when you do, and you are really helping us out. Another sponsor for the show, of course, Ultra Pro. They make the playmats that we use to embellish our playing fields on Game Nights, as well as the podcast. They're always coming out with new art. And, of course, it's always themed to every single set, as well as special things that are happening in the world of Magic. So make sure to pick up Ultra Pro product the next time you are at your local game store. And the final way to support all of our content is directly if you go to patreon.com slash command zone. In fact, we call out one lucky patron every single episode. And this episode is dedicated to... 
Quinn Lucero. Quinn, you rock. Bing Congratulations, bing. you did it. <laughs> All right, so let's move into our main topic here. A lot of you know the basics of how the stack and priority work, but we're going to go over them really quick just so everybody's on the same page for those yep. who don't. So the basics of the stack, it really is just this first in, last out system, right? Like things happen and they technically happen at instant speed all on top of each other. But the first thing that gets cast actually happens after the last thing that gets cast. Uh, and that's why we call it the stack, actually, because somebody casts something, somebody in response casts something else, and that gets stacked on top of it. Then maybe somebody in response casts something else, and that gets t stacked on top of the previous two things. And or then everybody's like... It's an ability, does something in response. And so then everybody goes, okay, is anybody else going to do anything? No, La let's resolve everything. And we go, thing on top, the last thing that was cast or ability that was activated. That happens. Now the next thing happens, and then the first thing happens. And sometimes the things on the stack will affect the other things like counter spells and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, I think sort of the earliest recollection I have of the stack and in the old days, we didn't call it that, but the way it, a very simple thing that would happen is like somebody says, I'm going to lightning bolt your creature in response. I'm going to giant growth my creature. So that's pretty intuitive, right? Like mm -hmm. it's a one, one, it makes it into a four, four, the lightning bolt won't kill it anymore. But the way this happens in game is that lightning bolt goes on the stack. Giant growth goes on the stack. There's an implicit, is anybody going to do anything else? No. Me neither. Okay, giant growth actually resolves first because it was cast last. That turns the creature into a 4-4. Now lightning bolt resolves, and that hits it for three damage. Not enough to kill it. A lot of people sense? also do this as the dishwashing system. You put dishes and you stack them up, and you wash the dishes from the top to the bottom, aka the last dish you put in is the first dish you're going to wash. There you go. So that's the stack in its most simple form. It can get crazy because the way the stack also works is that as the stack's getting resolved, you can stop at certain points and add things again. Mm -hmm. So, like, let's imagine that lightning bolt, giant, giant growth. growth. Another player in the game goes, "Oh, I'm going to counterspell." I don't know the lightning, the lightning bolt. You could go, "Okay, let the counterspell re resolve. The lightning bolt's not on the stack anymore. I'm going to misdirect that giant growth over to something else now." Yeah. Because you can wait until the counterspell resolved and now go, wait, before the giant growth resolves, I'm going to do this other thing. So that's the type of move that the stack allows you to make, which really makes it super complicated. Yeah, and actually, we've had the stack. We explained the stack pretty well in a Game Nights episode, but we've had it be pretty intense. And I won't spoil anything, but the last Game Nights episode we had, the stack was so complicated, we were just like, well... Let's just move to the end result because trying to explain it in this scenario would just not be fun, I think, for people involved. And it would actually bog down the game. And, but, but we're here to clarify the power of what the stack is and, of course, how you as commander players can utilize it the best. Yeah, I think actually we in the Guilds of Ravnica Game Nights episode, we had a pretty impressive stack and we explained it. And I think we'll just play that clip right now. Now the game keeps track of the order that cards are played in and then it starts to stack them up like a bunch of pancakes. So we have an Elishnorn, a Dictate of Erebos, a Marari's Wake, we'll get rid of that one because we allowed it to resolve, a Teferi's Protection, and then a Citywide Bust. The thing is, then the spells will resolve in reverse order. So Citywide Bust is actually gonna happen first and Elishnorn won't come into the battlefield until the very end. And then Citywide Bust is going to resolve. 
In response, I'm going to sacrifice this Eldrazi Scion to Yeheni, so he gets indestructible. So they won't die. So Got they it. won't die. Okay, and Elish Norn is still not on the battlefield. <laughs> right. The next thing is the Teferi's Protection. So I phase out my stuff. I'm not here. I'm gone. Okay. I'm gone. Can so, you stay that way? So deal. <laughs> yeah, you disappeared. It, yeah, and yeah, now right. the Dictate has landed. So right. it's in play. And then the Elishnor comes in. <sighs> so I think that gives some measure of how the stack works. And, and we're going to go through this more as we go. Um, originally, this episode was going to just be about the stack. And as we started to lay it out, we realized, oh, the real thing here is actually player priority. Oh, that's yeah. the that's actually the, the part that I think there's the most con misconceptions about that players, I think players kind of understand the stack, but when you start getting into player priority in multiplayer, that is the part where people start to get lost or confused or start to misunderstand when things are happening or why or who's allowed to do stuff when. Mm -hmm. Is that something that happens in 1v1 a lot, Danny? Or is it like, I'm assuming multiplayer just makes it that much more complicated? Uh, I mean, yeah, of course it's more complicated in multiplayer, but you pretty much hit the nail on the head. Um, the main thing is uh, most pe most of us know that if you want to respond to a spell, you have to wait your turn more or less. And that's the structure of the stack, and it helps uh, us organize so only one thing happens at any given time. Mm -hmm. um, however, like you also said, you can interrupt it at any time before and after something is resolving. But the important thing to understand is, yeah, like when do I have a chance to, say, tap my lands for mana and add mana to my mana pool? Or what if I have a... Um, like a card that I think about is Leonin Arbiter, which has a special action, which we're going to talk about as well, that doesn't use the stack at all. Like, when can uh, I do that? These are these are the kinds of questions that are more nuanced and require like a, a more granular breakdown of the rules. Yeah. So we're going to get into a lot of the little side nooks and crannies of, you know, things that come up, you know, quite often. Honestly, these will come up a few times a game of these yeah. corner cases. Um, but let's talk about priority first. So priority is basically the ability or under the rules, you're the player that's allowed to act. So if you have priority, you're the only one that can do stuff. Mm -hmm. That's what that. That's basically what that means. You can cast spells or activate abilities. Um, so a player with priority casts a spell or activates an ability. And I think people don't actually even know this part. A lot of players don't. You can do as many of those as you want while you've got priority. Right. We call it holding priority, and you'll hear us. I think we've said it on Game Nights before where you go, I'm going to do this. I'm going to hold priority. Because the default uh, in Magic generally is when you do something, you immediately pass priority. That's just what people assume. But that's not necessarily what happens. That's a shortcut. And we're going we're gonna to be talking about a lot of things that are often shortcut today. But what we're going to be saying is, here's the shortcut. If you don't even know that's a shortcut, you don't know what's the long cut. What's the actual way right. that it's supposed to work? So I cast Lightning Bolt on your 1-1 creature. You say in response, and I'm like, well, hold on. I'm going to hold priority. I want to do something else first, because I still have the priority. I didn't give it to you yet. Passing of priority is something that you, you, know, you do. So... I'm going to lightning bolt this. I'm going to hold priority. I'm going to fork my lightning bolt at this other thing. Now I'm done. You can have priority. And now you'd be in a sticky situation where you're like, okay, well, I only have one giant growth. Which creature do I save? Right. That is something that you can do when you have priority. So the way that priority works in multiplayer, because it's not 1v1, is that when you pass priority, when you're done, you say, I do a thing or I do a number of things, whatever it is. Okay. Those are on the stack. I pass priority. It goes in turn order around the table to the next person. So it would go to Danny here, mm -hmm. and I'd say, 
Danny, any do you have any effects? I have no effects. I pass priority. And that's what's implied when yes. we just do nothing. Right, exactly. <clears throat> right. Then it would go to Jimmy. I would say, yeah, I would like to do something. Uh, in response to the fork, the second spell you cast because you held priority, I'm going to counter or do whatever it is. Right. Or maybe I'm a maniac. I just lightning bolt something else because I also love that card. <laughs> and then it would go to Mel. And Mel would say, you know, she would do something or not. And then it would come back to me. Now, here's something important to understand about priority is that if you only get another chance to respond in there if somebody else responded. Yeah. When you pass priority, you're saying, I'm not going to do every, anything else. And if everyone else says, neither am I, the stuff happens. Yeah, it's like or hitting the, a, the last thing on the stack happens. It's like hitting a tennis ball, right, to yeah. someone across the court. And if they don't do anything to hit it back, then the, the ball is gone. You can't be like, hold on, now that you guys all said you're not going to do something, I'm going to do something else. Because that would give you a strategic advantage as well. Right. You're you're trying to bait out a counterspell, say, or whatever. And, and by their reply, it makes you think that they didn't have one. Mm -hmm. You know, the fork is going to resolve. Now, the fork resolving... Now the lightning bolt's on the stack and we'd all get to pass priority again, right? Yes. So that, you would so have another. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But if it's just lightning bolt, if I go, I'm going to lightning bolt your thing, pass priority. Danny goes, nothing. Jimmy says, nothing. Mel says, nothing. I don't have a chance now to be like, wait, I want to fork it. Mm -hmm. it. The lightning bolt goes off. Does that make sense to everybody? I hope it does. Okay. <laughs> We're just going to assume that it does. And if it doesn't, of course, <laughs> we'll give you all of our social details. You can just pound us with messages later. Again, this is often shortcut and the shortcuts are totally fine. But knowing how the passing of priority works is important because we'll see this type of scenario happen in a lot of multiplayer games where like I do something, Jimmy's two seats away and he's he like responds to it before Danny has a chance, which can be great for Danny mm -hmm. or it can be bad for Danny. But a lot of times, and we do this all the time in our games, we're like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's walk through this just because it's getting complicated. Danny. Did you do anything? No, nothing. Pass. Okay. <laughs> okay, Jimmy. Now he does the thing. Yeah. You know, where a lot of times somebody will be like, I, I, I take an action, you know, when it's not their turn. And, and a lot of times that's fine, but sometimes it's not. And you need to rewind and make sure that each person gets a chance to, you know, have a, a response. Yeah. Um. Okay, let's walk through two scenarios, I think, that get people in trouble with priority also. You want to toss the paper, Danny? It's a very exciting part of Ooh, the show. Yeah. Boom. Bam. Nailed it. Oh, just throw it away? Great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. There we go. This, this page one. There you go. Let's Sweet. Go. Oh, one, one important thing to note about priority that I didn't mention earlier is that priority always, uh, it always comes back to the active player, which is the player whose turn it is when it's done being passed. So the active player is the default person that has priority. So... When an action is taken, nobody does anything, or even if they do, by the time all that stuff's resolved, boom, the priority's going to land in the lap of the player whose turn it is. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. Well, one thing I wanted to say, too, is uh, just to be crystal clear, let's say, for example, Josh, it's your turn. You cast a spell. We all do a handful of different things. And then um, Jimmy had responded with something. Jimmy's thing responds. Like you just said, it goes back to you, you, the active player. It's your turn. You get priority, and then we start the cycle again. Not back to Jimmy, even though his thing responded. You get priority. Okay, so the active player is always the default person, even amidst the stuff happening in the middle of the stack, basically. Yeah, even after somebody else's thing has just resolved off the stack. Mm. Gotcha. gotcha. That's that's really interesting. Because you know. started it, yeah. I guess? Yeah. And you were the active player that started it? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. So this comes up with a situation where, like, let's say Jimmy plays a creature. Let's say, like, a Deathrite Shaman. And I don't really want him to have that creature for whatever reason. And I have a Swords to Plowshares in my hand. But it's Jimmy's turn, obviously, because he cast a, a creature. I guess unless he had Vidalcan Ori. We won't get into that. <laughs> it's his turn. He casts his creature. I have Swords to Plowshares. When can I Swords to Plowshares Jimmy's creature? Can I do it immediately? As I cast it? 
Yeah, let's say he has something that gives the Deathrite Shaman haste. Right, yeah. So uh, the short answer is no, um, because again, it's Jimmy's turn. He just cast a creature. That's something you can only usually do on your main phase. So he's the active player. So as soon as the Deathrite Shaman spell resolves, because you chose not to counter it and no one else did. And it, right, Swords of Plowshares doesn't kill it while it's on the stack. It has no, to be on the battlefield. Correct, yeah. It's not there yet. So uh, we all let Deathrite Shaman as a spell resolve. It enters the battlefield, and then priority goes back to Jimmy. Now, again, Jimmy still has priority, so you do not yet have the opportunity to cast any spells, including your swords. He has to pass priority for some reason for me to cast swords. But if Deathrite Shaman had haste for some reason, he would always be able to activate it right then without me being able to swords it first. Yep. Mm -hmm. A lot of people uh, compare this to Planeswalkers. People cast a Planeswalker. Someone's like, I kill your Planeswalkers. Like, no, no, because I'm the one that casts it and it's my turn. I can use one of its abilities. And when I use the ability, you can then respond. Right. So I'm you're, always going to get holding, an activation yeah. off, though. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Because in, unless you countered it, it's got to hit the battlefield. And once it's on the battlefield, the active player got priority back and until they pass it. Now, if he played the Deathrite Shaman, even though it had haste, and he goes, okay, I'm going to go to combat. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Ooh. Now he would be passing priorities because when you move through steps and phases, you have to give all the other players a chance to respond before you move on to the next phase. Yeah, exactly. That Those are implied priority passes. And right. Shortcuts we can also talk about. That's why we say, I'm going to go to combat, and we look at everybody expectantly like, are you going to do anything? Which means, mm -hmm. I'm going to go to combat. Would you like to take any moves before I do? These are, like we said, shortcuts, but what a player's actually saying is, I'm going to pass, I'm going to go to combat, I'm going to pass priority, do you want to take any actions before we're in the combat phase? Like tapping down the creature, removing a threat, and this happens a lot in limited too with tappers, so you'll see, uh, the going to combat phase, a lot of people get confused because they will often wait too long, and then it's like, well, I'm in combat, I can tap and attack you now, and then you're going to get priority, so you need to do things that affect the creatures, for instance, in combat before they enter combat. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to take a quick step back, um, I think it's also important to understand that while we humans are playing this game, if you think about the fact that Arena and Magic Online exist, software has been written to that reflect the comprehensive rules to make it work. So just, again, taking a step back, the way we actually do move to the next step of the game is when both players or all players involved pass priority and the stack is empty. And whenever that happens, you automatically move to the next step of the right. game. Mm -hmm. So that, that would be the going to combat, no response. You're saying, I have nothing on the stack and... I'm passing priority to you. Do you do nothing? Great. Also, now we're moving on. Right. Gotcha. It's implied that you would move on and not just stay in the same phase because you've already said, I have nothing to do here. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about some effects here that do and do not use the stack because as you uh, sort of alluded to earlier, there are things that don't use the stack and there are things that do. And it, you, it's really important to know the difference between the two sometimes because you can give away information on accident. You know, a lot of times this happens in games where something happens and somebody goes, I'm going to do this. Uh, you can't do that because this is a special case. And so giving away information could be bad for you in that moment just because you just didn't know this stuff. So hopefully we can clear up some things. So let's start with stuff that does use the stack. Um, every spell that you're going to cast out of your hand, uh, basically, there's a few... There's a few exceptions, but cards, instant sorceries, artifacts are going to use the stack. Even like split stack uses the stack. It just mm -hmm. it just has some rules modifications to how the stack's going to work now that you've cast it, right? Yep, exactly. Um, triggered abilities use the stack. These are abilities that say when or whenever, basically, or at. Or at. So like keywords. if something happens, it, it causes a trigger. It's really, well, trigger's a really good word for it, right? It's like a, tr it's like a thing that got flipped that yep. you don't even necessarily have control of uh, that happens. Um, activated abilities almost always use the stack. 
There is Correct. an exception that we're going to talk about here. Mm-hmm. Um, so an example of all these things, Solemn Simulacrum. Mm-hmm. When you cast that spell, that uses the stack because that's a spell you cast out of your hand. Also, when it enters the battlefield, it triggers and says, go find a land out of your library. Mm-hmm. That is a triggered ability that uses the stack, that mm-hmm. goes on the stack. So somebody could go, before you find that land, I want to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, Elspeth, Sun's Champion, a, uh, a Planeswalker. Loyalty abilities use the stack. So mm-hmm. the loyalty ability doesn't just happen. You get a chance to respond. So if you go, I'm going to minus Elspeth, and I'm going to clear the board of all creatures with power four or greater. Okay, well, that's going to go on the stack, and I can, re- and all the other players get a chance to respond to it. So maybe Jimmy goes, I'm going to sacrifice my creature to right. some effect that lets me, to greater good, just because it's going to die anyway or whatever. He has a chance to act before that loyalty ability goes off. Yeah. Um, or you can, for instance, oh, it's power four or greater. I'm going to do something to shrink a creature or That's I'm going to bounce a creature because by the time that effect resolves, then the next thing on the stack would be the minus ability of Elspeth. It wouldn't see the creature. It would be saved. Yada, oh, that'd be yada. so sick. You like Toxic Deluge with Vedalcanori out just to get your creatures underneath the just, four yeah, power. Just slightly. But, but hopefully all your opponent's <laughs> creatures do not make it. <laughs> it would kill their small creatures because they're like true, two-twos, right? <laughs> um, Tim, Prodigal Sorcerer. That's another one that uses the stack. Again, just taps to do one point of damage to something. The, you tap it, the one point of damage goes on the stack, people can respond, they could giant growth their creature so it doesn't die, that kind yeah. of thing. It's very important too if you're looking at older cards that have different templating and wording, and if you don't understand, oh, is this an activated ability or not, go to Gatherer, they have updated the rules text in the text version of all of the cards there. So you can see, oh, this card in the past used to say do this, this, and this, but it didn't have a colon to indicate that it was an activated ability. You can tell what it is and what it isn't, thanks to Gatherer. Yeah, as a quick aside here, um, and this is something that's easy to miss. We do it all the time in like set reviews and stuff when you're getting excited about a card. Oh, yeah. Activated abilities have a cost, and that cost is all sort of encompassed before the colon. So everything you see before the colon is part of the cost of doing the thing. And then what happens after the colon is what the effect is. So for instance, Prime Speaker Vanifar you tap it and you sacrifice a creature and then you search your library for a creature with power one or greater. No, CMC one. Equal to one plus one or, a creature CMC. Yes, sorry. Birthing pod. <laughs> yeah. You birthing pod. On a um, stick. Okay. On a stick. Instant speed. So sacrificing the creature in that instance to Vanifar is part of the cost of doing the ability. You can't respond to the cost, right? So they can't go, I'm going to tap my prime speaker Vanifar and I'm going to sacrifice my seedborn muse and you can't go, I'm going to path to exile your seedborn muse before you sacrifice it. Right, right. because at that point you've already, you, while you have priority and you go through the steps to casting a spell, you figure out the cost, you pay the cost, and then it goes on the stack, and then you get priority. So yeah, at no point in the middle of that does anyone have their chance to respond to that. Right, so that's, I think that's a thing that newer players get wrong, and I remember in days of yore me thinking that I could get rid of the creature right. they're going to sacrifice yeah. before they sacrifice it, and then you're like, ha ha, you have nothing to sacrifice, you can't do the thing. True. That's well, not how it works. Also, even with rules back then, right, the rules were different, and they had like interrupt cards. Again, like if I see something that says interrupt, it's actually an instant, so ignore that, look at the gatherer text like Jimmy said. But yeah, I think the rules used to work this way, and so when 6th edition came out and the stack was built, right. the game got a lot more sort of structured and streamlined another thing that uh part of the cost is loyalty abilities so part of paying the cost is the loyalty ability so you can't like when elspeth plus goes on the stack you can't like respond while it still has the loyalty it had before it got plused Mm -hmm. to like 
kill it at it's that moment. Part of the cost to play it. Yeah. Also, I misspoke. Vanifar is not at instant speed. You can only activate it as Anytime a sorcerer. You could activate this. Use do sorcerer. Yes. Good to know. Yeah, good to know. Okay, so those are the abilities and and cards and effects that use the stack. The more interesting part of this discussion is stuff that does not use the stack. Yeah, so this is where things get real tricky. So mm-hmm. we said there were some activated abilities that don't use the stack, and the primary ones are mana abilities. Mm-hmm. This is to prevent somebody from going like. And by mana abilities, we mean Birds of Paradise, if you tap that to add mana to your mana pool, or Mountain, Mm -hmm. if you tap a Mountain to add your mana pool, or Ashnod's Altar is actually a really weird one, Mm -hmm. but that's a mana ability. This is to prevent somebody from, Jimmy uh, says, I tap five mana, and you go, in response, before that mana's in your mana pool, I'm going to do something. The game doesn't want that to happen, because it would just create times to like sort of mess with people between when the mana's in their mana pool. So they just said, nope, mana just goes in the pool, that doesn't use the stack, you can you can just sort of do that at any time. Otherwise, I think the game would kind of fall apart. So, okay. So, let's talk about Ashnod's Altar and Phyrexian Altar specifically. I think it makes sense, right, that you can mm-hmm. tap your lands and stuff. Ashnod's and Phyrexian are interesting because you could technically sacrifice a creature. Like, if somebody goes to Kroos and Grip your Ashnod's Altar, mm-hmm. you can still sac creatures to the Ashnod's Altar to create mana in that moment. Yes, and I think the big reason why you're pulling this up is because it doesn't seem intuitive. Because you're yes. like, wait, gross and grip. It says split second. No one can do anything. Well, no one can activate abilities or cast spells, but you can still do special actions, which mana abilities are special actions. Because it, it would totally make sense if somebody says, I'm going to gross and grip, whatever. And you go, before that resolves, I'm going to tap five lands and add five mana to my mana pool. Right. I don't think anybody would think that's weird. Exactly. But yeah. Ashnod's Altar, it's because it's an artifact, even though... Because Phyrexian and Ashnods are mana abilities, you could you could totally do it. So sudden spoiling, those all, any of those effects, you could still use right. your Ashnods uh, to get mana in that instance. Now you couldn't probably use the mana to cast anything because split second would stop that. But you could just add it to your pool, let it get destroyed, and then use the mana if you right. wanted. Well, if it was your turn, you could continue with your main phase, and the mana would not have left your mana pool, right. so you would have access to that. But yeah, it does seem very weird because it's like, hold on, nothing else can happen. Well. You could tap lands. You can also sac creatures to generate mana because sacrificing creatures are part of the cost. You couldn't like sacrifice a creature to like high market or something or or things like that, right? Because that, again, that's an effect. Playing a land does not use the stack, so you can't. I'm trying to think of a situation like some situation where maybe you've seen your opponent's hand and you know like oh they need double blue to cast a certain spell. Right. They say, I play an island. You can't be like before that island hits the battlefield. I'm going to do something now because Wasteland I know you need your other land. Or yeah, whatever. yeah. So. It's just, nope, the land is in play. You can't do anything about it. You don't get priority. They're going to be able to add that blue to their mana pool before you can do anything. Um, the if, if something had landfall, though, the landfall trigger would go on the stack. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, still. So the, those are still normal triggered abilities, like sort of irrespective of the special action that's playing a land. Right. And we're going to talk about how triggered abilities work a little later, too, I think. So yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But that's a way that you could create a moment where you could respond to some stuff. In that instance, obviously, they'd still be able to tap the land for the blue mana. You couldn't, you can't can't sort of mess with that. But um, this is a weird one. I didn't know before we started doing this, but suspend does not use the stack. That Mm -hmm. is correct. So basically, the timing restrictions of the card still matter. So sorcery means only during your main phase, but you don't actually cast a spell. You put it into exile as a special action, and um, that's it. Now, when it comes off of suspend, that's the moment you're casting it and using the stack, right? Exactly. Yeah. And you have to meet all the same, like, uh, rules criteria for the spell resolving, going on the stack, choosing targets, all these things. So you could, you know, depending on what's going on out there, and if you had, you know, Vidalcan Ories and things in play, you could maybe suspend Greater Gargadon and sack things at a moment where it would be difficult for you to do so. Is that e- true? E- yes. Yeah. So, 
<laughs> I did not know suspend didn't use a stack. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, I don't know how to abuse it, but yeah. I don't know if there's too many ways to I guess abuse if somebody, it. Yeah, if some is there an is there like split second speed discard or anything like that? I, I don't, don't think so. Think so yeah. No. Okay. Split second will come up a lot in this episode because it is a way to circumnavigate the stack, and so it is a very special thing in Magic's history to have the the text that split second does. It's very unique, and it's a great way to demonstrate when abnormal things can happen because that normally puts the cap on those things happening. Um, okay, yeah, we talked about triggered abilities versus mana abilities. Here's a really interesting one. So auras that enchant lands are considered there's some old ones like wild growth that says whenever you tap the enchanted land for mana add an additional mana to your mana pool if a triggered ability is triggered by a man by a mana ability then it does not use the stack yeah like so that's a way to explain it so here's the thing let's just I, here's how oh, no, I, this is good, yeah. I just got a headache now <laughs> okay so let's break this down into two simple steps correct whenever you see when whenever and at oh I yeah just, that was circular yeah you see that uh ah. it's a triggered ability right right but not all triggered abilities are created equal. If a triggered ability it would create mana, doesn't have a target, isn't a Planeswalker loyalty ability or anything like that, um, and it would yeah when it, it would generate mana when it would resolve, then it's a uh, triggered mana ability. And then it's just like everything else we just talked about. It resolves automatically, and that's it. It can't be responded to. I see. So this really com it comes into play mostly with the auras that enchant lands. Yeah. Like so if that. you look at yeah, wild growth is the classic example. When you tap it, even though it's now says whenever you tap enchanted land for mana, add green. Uh, it's just it just adds to your mana pool. Like your forest is doubled basically, or whatever land you put it on. They've templated those differently in recent years, I think, because of this, where now it says it gives the enchanted land an ability to tap for two mana of any True. color. Yeah, yeah, and that can have like narrow implications for things that turn off activated right. abilities. But that's that's another topic. But but yeah, you're right. Okay, so. All right, so hopefully you got all that. <laughs> um, the next thing that doesn't use the stack, uh, and we've referred to this many times on the show, so this is known, is unmorphing. Mm -hmm. So this is to prevent things like people go, I unmorph my creature, and you're like, before you do, I'm going to lightning bolt it while it's still a 2-2. Two -two. If you paid the unmorph costs, it's flipping up. There's really nothing in that moment that'll stop it. Mm -hmm. Right. It also gives the ability to do things like counter Croson grips because... If you have, say, Karu Spell Snatcher, mm -hmm. Unmorphing doesn't use the stack. So Crocin Grip goes on the stack, says, nothing else can be added, no other cards and effects can be played or whatever. And you go, okay, but I'm going to unmorph my thing. Mm -hmm. It's a Karu Spell Snatcher, and it says when it's turned face up, you know, I can counter a spell. Well, that trigger goes on the stack, and Crocin Grip can't stop that, basically. Yep, that's true. So something else that's interesting about how when we have multiple triggers, and this, of course, comes up in y'all's context because you play multiplayer a lot, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, is... Uh, Many, many of times I've already seen in Commander games, multiple triggers happen all at the same time and from different people. Right, like uh, let's say three people have some kind of effect that says when a creature, when a creature dies. dies. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Very, very common thing, right? Yeah. So what do you do? They appear to, you know, from like a heuristics or a simple uh, observation, it's like, oh, they happen kind of all at the same time. But that's not how the rules work, right? They have the, to be stacked. Exactly, right. So how do you put them on the stack? Well, you put them on the stack in, we say, app and app order for short, which means active player, non-active player. And like you already talked about, mm. um, that means if you have multiple triggers, you put them on the stack in any order of your choosing. You being the player whose turn it is. You being the person who is the active player, so your turn, yes. So you put all your triggers on the stack in any order of your choosing, choosing, excuse me. Then the next person in turn order, so in this case me, I would take all my triggers. Let's say I have three. I can go, oh, A, B, and then C. Right. Then pass on to Jimmy, then pass on to whomever else, right? So my triggers as the active player would be on the bottom. Uh, on the bottom of the stack when yeah. it's all said and done, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. I would just concede at that point. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
One last thing to say here, uh, oftentimes with these complicated stacks, especially in multiplayer, people may want to respond at a certain point in the stack to create a certain outcome after it's all said and done. Yeah. It, one, triggers go on the stack, uh, they, I don't want to use the word priority, but they, they go first. Triggers have to go on the stack before players can activate abilities and cast spells. So if after it's all said and done and you put all the triggers on the stack, then you can put something on the stack like cast a spell or activate your own ability, but it must go on top of the stack. And if you want to put it on the middle, you have to wait for each thing to resolve to for that thing to be on top. To get there, right. Right, does that now, make sense? Now, it's obviously a lot easier in games like Arena and Online where you can see the stack literally pop up as little icons and things yep. that you can highlight over them. Right. In Magic, it is a lot more difficult to keep track of. Yeah, in Commander, for sure. And, and mm -hmm. we have a lot more to keep track of, uh, but we're gonna take a quick mid-roll break from our sponsors. And when we get back, we're gonna go through an entire turn of Magic the Gathering, and that's exciting. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Okay, we are back with Danny talking about the complexities of, well, Magic the Gathering. Priority, using the stack, how it works, and more importantly, how you can use it to your advantage as a commander player. Um, so I guess let's just move right back into it. Yeah, we're going to start here with the parts of a turn. Uh, we're going to go through turn order because it's important to know within each of that when priority happens and how all that stuff works. So knowing how your turns, the steps and phases interact with priority in the stack is going to help you make more effective decisions about you know what to do and when to do your spells and abilities. Remember that the active player, the player whose turn it is, they, if they want to move to the next phase, they have to pass, pass priority at that moment. So like, you know, we're going to start with the beginning phase here in a second. If I want to move out of my upkeep and go to draw, technically, I have to give everybody a chance to still act during my upkeep. Again, we shortcut this very often where people will go like untap, draw. And yeah. then a lot of times people, if you want to do something in your upkeep, people know to be like, hold on, I have effects during your upkeep. And and we kind of put the onus on the other player to tell the active player in those moments when they want to act during the upkeep because 90% of the time nobody does. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't make sense to like every time stop. So if you have effects during somebody's upkeep, you just want to tell them sometime around when they're untapping. Like, just so you know, I have effects during your upkeep, so don't draw your card. Um Let's see. Uh, yep. Okay. So an example of this recently, we had the um, the War of the Spark episode mm -hmm. of Game Nights, and Cedric wanted to cast Teferi's Time Twist during Emma's second main phase before she went to the end step. So he just, because it was implied, Emma said, I passed the turn. 
that's an implication of I'm going to my end step. Right. Cedric said, hold on, before your end step, so we're still in your second main, I'm going to do this thing because Teferi's time twist brings the creature back on the next end step. So if they were already in Emma's end step, it would come back on Cedric's end step, which was not when he wanted the creature to come back. He wanted it to be able to attack the next turn. So he just had to specify, you know, hold on, we're going to we're gonna slow down here for a second, and I'm going to specify where we're at so I can take this action. Notably, when he does do that, he passes, again, the active player priority back to Emma, who is still in her second main phase. So if she wanted to cast a sorcery at that point, for instance, she could. She doesn't automatically move to her end step because someone else stopped her before she moves to the end step, the the I guess it goes back around. And it's like okay, I'm at now it's your second main phase again. Still, yeah, she could be like, oh, well, you tapped two blue mana to do that, and now I know you don't have a counter spell, so I'm going to do something that I didn't want to do before you did that. Um, Corner case, but that does become very relevant sometimes. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the beginning phase of this turn. So you start and you're in the untap, and untap is a special phase where. Basically, nothing can happen. Yeah, how does that that work? Well, yeah, unless your name is Josh Lee Quiet, in which case all your stuff phases back in, right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, right. So there's the phase. Yes. So phasing is a weird thing that happens right before untap, right? Yeah, it happens in untap before you untap your stuff. We didn't used to have to know much about this, but because of Teferi's protection, we do now. Right. So this allows you to use your mana on your turn. That's that's the way that that phasing card works, yeah. Yeah, so so the first thing that happens in your turn is if you're phased out or stuff was phased out, it phases in. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, there is stuff with phasing that actually, if it was phased in, would maybe phase out during this time. But that's where the phase part of the phase happens. Yeah. Then we untap, and any triggered abilities that happen because of something untapping, so like the inspired mechanic from Theros, Mm -hmm. those triggers happen, but they get pushed into the upkeep. They don't technically happen during the untap step, right? Right, and this is unique to the untap step. Um, They just, you know, rules... At Wizards just decided to make this the case. So yeah, if you have triggers that would occur during the untap step, they wait to go to the upkeep step. Mm-hmm. And then again, uh, they would go on the stack in active player, non-active player order. They just don't want people being able to mess with when untapping's happening because it gets really messy. I mean, right. how would it even work? Like, oh, be- before you untap these three lands, but after you untap those two, I'm going to do something. Like, yeah, it's just you have your end sense. step to do that. Yeah. Right? That's, yeah. that's normally the time to act. So the untap is pretty unique. Just nothing can even happen. Triggers even that happen there get pushed till later. Yeah. So, to allow the game to con- literally just function, so yeah. you can, so you're not ever in a t- awful feel bad moment. I don't know. It, were a lot of these changes and and stack rules made so that players wouldn't get into unfun scenarios? I think that's ultimately the intent of any like rule change or any like big decision that Wizards makes. But also part of it is. Um, Every time they make rules changes, if, if it's not for new keywords or something like that, or just a big sweeping rules change, they're they're trying to make the game rules and the way the technicalities more closely match how the game naturally plays. I see. Okay. Right? They want it to be intuitive. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. And fair. Okay. So we're untap. We untap our stuff. Nobody can do anything. If any triggers happen, they would get pushed to upkeep. So the upkeep happens. And then at that moment, all the beginning of upkeep affects trigger. Mm-hmm. Um, these can't be preempted. So the scenario that we like to toss around, because I've seen this happen many times, is let's say you have a Phyrexian arena mm-hmm. and you're at one life. There's not a window in you in there for you to do anything to Phyrexian arena. Like let's say you have a Croson grip in your hand. Mm-hmm. You can't untap and then cast the Croson grip. It'll still be too late. The Phyrexian arena trigger will have happened as soon as your upkeep began. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's just not a way really to get around those upkeep triggers on your turn. I would have to cross and grip or do whatever on the end step before my turn. Right. Um, Could you just play a card that says end the turn? Clear everything off the stack? 
Yeah, you could ca- you could activate your Sundial of the Infinite there. Mm-hmm. That that would save you. Although you'd be in the same position next turn, but yep. maybe. <laughs> True. <laughs> True. So that's one example, right? Effects that say end the turn, and they say in parentheses like empty the stack, you know, right. Right. move to the end, and everything else. Um, the other thing you could do, for example, in this narrow situation, is you could uh, stifle your own right. uh, Phyrexian uh, Arena trigger. But of course, that's like uh, responding to anything else, right? It goes on the stack. You have priority. You could say, "I hold priority. I'm going to stifle my trigger." Right. You can, yeah. So Fraction Arena does use the stack, so you can respond to it. Everyone will have a chance to respond to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you, we talked about this a little bit just a second ago, but just to make it clear, if you have multiple triggers during your upkeep that trigger at the beginning, like let's say you have a Thassa and a Phyrexian Arena, and you're not at one life, you're at a healthy life total, <laughs> it's probably advantageous for you to want to scry first and then draw the card. And Thassa lets you scry. Phyrexian Arena lets you draw. Since they're both your triggers, when they both go on the stack at the same time, you can choose which order you want them to happen. And the way I usually say it um, is just that I'm going to make it so that I'm going to scry first and then draw. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and that's, again, a shortcut just to be like, look, I have two triggers. I get to ch- stack them. I get to put them in any order I choose. So because they're my triggers, I'm going to say Thassa scry, then draw. Yeah. Technically, you're saying I'm putting the arena, Phyrexian Arena on the stack, and then I'm putting Thassa on the stack. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, That's how it works in MTGO. Very confusing again. Easier to just say it. Now, how your triggers stack with your opponent's triggers, and this is the same as when multiple triggers all happen at once, because they are. So your opponent might have like a, I don't know, what's a shielded trigger, Mm -hmm. effects that trigger on your opponent's upkeeps. What would happen is, let's say I have the Thassa, the Phyrexian Arena, somebody else has the shielded. I'm the active player. I would put my Phyrexian Arena first, then Thassa. So I'm going to scry first, then draw. Those are my triggers as the active player. Then it would go to any triggers Danny has. Non-active players, yep. Yep, and then it would go to any triggers Jimmy has. So if Danny didn't have any, then it would go to Jimmy. He has the shieldred. You're going to have to sacrifice the creature before you get to scry and draw the card right. is the way the outcome is going to happen. Your your opponent's triggers are basically always going to happen first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I think people kind of, they want to be able to circumnavigate that system a lot. Well, I'd much rather, like, you know, draw a card or, you know, maybe you only have one creature and you have a sacrifice effect. I'd want to sacrifice it to that first. No, right. sorry. Um, okay, so remember, so we're, we're in upkeep, and then, and then upkeep happens, and it's just like anything else. It's, it's just like the main phase, except you can't cast sorcery speed stuff. Yep. And usually we just shortcut it by going, I draw my card. <laughs> and the draw step has a special action that occurs at the beginning of the draw step, and it doesn't use the stack either. You draw your card. People don't respond once you've gone to your draw step to drawing your card. Now they do have a chance to do stuff before you draw your card. That's what the upkeep is. So once you go to the draw step, you just draw. That happens. And now there is a chance for for other things to happen. Um, So like Howling Mine would be a trigger that causes you to draw another card. Teferi's Puzzle Box is a big one. Oh gosh. That like, so the draw would happen first, then you would count how many cards you have for Teferi's Puzzle Box, counting the one you drew for turn, and then you would put all those on the bottom and draw that many cards. You don't, Count first, put those on the bottom, then draw that card, that many cards, then one for turn. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, that's that's definitely a weird one. Another weird one I was gonna bring up um, was uh, Sylvan Library. Oh, oh yes. okay. Let's so talk about that. This one is uh, can be an issue at competitive REL. We're not talking about that today, but I'm just telling telling you about my experiences. <laughs> uh, easiest way to do this is just to draw draw three cards. Basically, pick up the top three cards of your library and. Don't have them touch your hand yet. So just be a good sport right. with all your teammates, right? Or your uh, play group, right? And then you make your decisions on whether or not you want to keep more than one, pay the four life per card, et cetera, and then put that many back. So you get your little sort of mini ponder brainstorm. Um, 
that happens all at the same time because that's actually a replacement effect. And what you talked about mm. a second ago, Josh, uh, you said special action. I need to, we need to be crystal clear. It's not here. special action. It's a turn-based action. Okay. So it's a thing ah, that happens okay. automatically as a, a turn or a step of, sorry, a uh, yeah step in a turn is happening, right? So drawing a card for during your draw step, that's a turn-based action. And okay. yeah, no one can respond. Well, it happens, right. and then the active player gets priority. Yeah, let's talk about replacement effects for a minute because there are a number of things, and, th and it does tend to happen a lot during the draw step where mm -hmm. it says in, uh, Underrealm Lich was a new one that said yeah. instead of drawing you know, your one card per turn, you look at the top, you three, look at the top three, choose two. one, and then put two in the graveyard. Mm -hmm. That's not a trigger, right? That no. just replaces the draw. So mm -hmm. nobody can respond to, to that. That's... Is that sort of how Sylvan Library works too? Uh, yes. So uh, quick thing on replacement effects. It's very easy to spot replacement effects. Uh, all of them, or at least almost all of them, have the word instead. So if you see instead on the correct, you know, the up-to-date Oracle readings on any particular card, then you know it's a replacement effect. And it's very simple. It's what the English word means. Like instead of A, do B. So mm. instead of drawing one card like a normal turn-based action, you look at the top three, pick one, bin two, and that replaces your draw. Notably, that, yeah. If you have cards like Consecrated Sphinx out, you, th your opponent, if they do that, they're not drawing a card mm -hmm. anymore. So, yes. so triggers like that won't happen for you. So right. keep an eye out for that. For Underrealm Lich, it replaces the draw. At what point in there can an opponent respond? It's not, there's not a point, right? Until they've discarded already? Uh, how about this? Let's role play. Okay. I have Underrealm Lich. Yeah. Uh, it's my upkeep. Yeah. I pass priority to Jimmy. Okay, I have no effects. No effects. Cool. All right, so we've all passed priority with an empty stack. Yeah. We now are in my draw state, uh, draw phase. Right. I the normal game rules would say draw a card, but instead I'm going to look at the top three. Notice neither of you have had chance to prior yeah. have any sort of priority. Neither mm -hmm. have I. I'm now going to look at these three, pick one, and put two in my graveyard. I've completed that. Boom. Now there's nothing else in the stack. There's or sorry, there's no other replacement effects. It's now my turn in my draw step. I get priority. Right. So there's no point in time at which I'm like able to, I don't know, do anything at all there. Until you move to your main phase or you do something after receiving priority in your draw step, correct? Exactly, yeah. Okay. Okay, so again, Whew. we're done with Danny's draw step and he says, do you guys have any effects during my draw step? Yeah, I pass priority. Jimmy, do you pass priority? Yep. We pass and now we're into Danny's main phase. Main phase one. Phase. Yep. yep, main phase one. So hopefully main phase is going to be pretty self-explanatory at this point yeah. anytime you would cast a spell on your ability each other player gets a chance to respond you know if you don't hold hold priority and then they also get a chance to respond before you move to your next step so it basically works like upkeep it's not that much different other than you can cast sorcery speed stuff right mm -hmm. yep. yep and play a land which is the one of the special actions we talked about i like playing lands um <laughs> And then the next phase gets pretty complicated. So this is the combat phase. Right. We've had so many different rules questions about this over the years. Yep. Uh, it gets pretty confusing. So the combat phase obviously is the phase that it's, let's see, it has five steps or it has five phases within the combat phase. How do you name uh, these? There's steps within a phase, right? So okay. there's beginning, declare attackers, declare blockers. If there's first strike or double strike, there's first strike damage. Right. And then there's combat damage. Then there's end of combat. <laughs> okay. And so. then you're back in the main phase. <laughs> so that's super simple. That's yeah, duh. Yeah. No so end of the episode. It's actually super important to know all the steps within the combat phase because there are things within each step that you can do to affect combat and knowing the best time to do them can honestly be the big difference between whether Annihilator happens to you or not or things right, like that. Right. So we go to the combat phase and we're in beginning of combat. This is before anything's happened. And this is the moment where people go, I go to combat. This is that moment where you're allowed to respond and do stuff. Yeah. Think of it as the upkeep for the combat phase. Yeah. Okay. Oh, very nice. <laughs> so yes. So only yeah. instance can be used here uh, or instant speed stuff. 
Yes. And this is where you would want to be like, okay, I didn't talk Jimmy out of attacking me with his it that betrays. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to tap it down. Mm -hmm. I'm going to use my cryptic command and tap all of Jimmy's creatures so he can't attack. That's where you do it is in the beginning of combat phase. Now, technically, you could do it earlier in the main phase, but you want to, in general, in Magic strategically, wait till the very last possible moment to do something for the most part. So You don't want to open the door to any sorcery speed stuff that Jimmy may have, which he could use during his main phase. You might as well wait till the beginning of combat where he can only use instant speed stuff. Yes. Not that you even know what those may or may not be, but it constricts him in some way, and it's just to your advantage to do so. Mm -hmm. Uh, Path to exile is another thing that could happen then. Because if you say, I go to combat, we're beginning of combat phase, Mm -hmm. and uh, I say that, and goes to you guys, and you're like, I do nothing, I do nothing. nothing, Now we're in declare attackers. And this is where the first thing, similar to drawing the card at the beginning of your draw step, the first thing that happens at declare attackers is you declare your attackers. And at that point, it's going to be too late, if you haven't already, to do things like tap all their creatures down before they attack. You'll run into this on Arena and MTGO a lot more, because without verbal communication, if you just click one too many times, you're now too late to use your those type of effects. Right. And you're like, crap, I meant to tap that down, but it's too late now. Yeah, yeah. And and also, like, the reason that you have to do this before you declare attackers is because it's just like, okay, Josh, I go to combat. Yeah. You do nothing. I'm like, all right, uh, I'm gonna, Josh, I'm going to swing you with three Eldrazi. And you're like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. Before you swing with me with those three Eldrazi, now that you've revealed literally what you're going to do, I want to do something. Nah, it's too late to do that. Yeah, it's too late. Yeah, because you might go beginning of combat. Jimmy, who are you going to attack? I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah. And, he, and you're like, okay, I do nothing. I attack you, Josh. Wait, I want to tap him down. No. no it yeah. doesn't work like that. Yeah. Yep. You can't have uh, the best of both worlds or have you cake and eat it too, whatever anecdote you want to <laughs> yeah, use. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why you'll see us a lot of times asking that question so we know whether to do things before they declare attackers. So we get to de- declare attackers. The player declares their attacks, and then that's when priority gets passed. So one thing you can do because as the active player let's say i'm attacking and i say i'm gonna attack you know danny with this creature and jimmy with this one i declare those attackers i have i have priority at that moment i can say before blockers i'm going to path to exile this creature danny so now you have nothing yeah exactly so like you said uh when we move into declare attackers, the first thing you do is the turn-based action of declaring your attackers. Um, and then, yeah, once that's already all said and done, the active player, you get priority and you pass it. And then when everyone passes, you go to the next step. Right. And then, yeah, like once I have priority after I've declared my attacks, then I can path to exile or do whatever else I want. And everyone else right. can respond. This has saved me on Arena before where I'm like, oh, crap, I need to do this thing. Yeah, I, I have one last like, chance oh, good, right I after I tap my creatures to attack. Well, technically you have it after the next step, which is declaring blockers. So I attack Josh with two Llanowar Elves or one land war off. It's a one bold. one. Mm-hmm. Very bold. So make a statement. <laughs> Send the signal. So another turn-based uh, effect here, I'm assuming, by declaring blockers, something that you cannot be, uh, you cannot interact with, right? And you'll see this on Arena and MTGO. You turn the card sideways, you, sh- you ship them, and then it passes the other player, and then they're allowed to choose blockers before anything uh, priority gets passed around. Well, they get priority after declare attackers. If they didn't take it then, then it assumes we're going to declare blockers. Right, right. And then, yeah, then you say the first thing you do at the beginning of the declare blockers phase, Danny's double checking some of our stuff here. I hope we're right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, uh, Do you want to take a pause real quick? What I was thinking is um, the communication policy changed kind of well like a year ago with a smuggler's copter and standard right uh for saying the word combat or things like that it used to be ambiguous and now it's more clear and i just want to find it real quick so i can make sure we right, oh, right. Yeah, I there, was, there was an instance thing, where yeah. somebody said like, combat, i go to tour. combat where somebody said combat yeah and yeah. then and then that was imp- i'm not as worried about it for commander because mm-hmm. like 
generally were like people are playing at their kitchen table and and right. tournament wording i think you got to be more careful with than we do a lot of times we'll even let somebody rewind where it's like somebody said wait wait, wait hold on before you you know as long right. as no re- information has been revealed you know mm-hmm. yeah we skipped over the beginning of combat and i wanted to do this right uh so i guess just to just to summarize it very briefly it's just like if you say go to combat and everyone says uh Oh, sorry. Let's say you go to combat uh, and you have something like a smuggler's copter where you have not yet turned it into a creature. You have not crewed it this turn. Right. Um, you basically use context to say, well, if we, if I say combat and you all, you all don't respond and, and there's nothing on the battlefield, then we're in declare attackers. But if there's something that matters, like that you see on the battlefield, or you have to explicitly stay, I want to go to beginning of combat then you would go to beginning of combat. Otherwise, you just go to declare attackers. That's basically right, because the stack yeah, is empty oh. and it auto-passes to the next thing, right? Right, it's because of crew specifically, because I can't crew once I'm in declare attackers. Right, it's right. at that point too late, because yeah. like we said, you do the turn-based action of attacking first, then you would have priority to, well, crew it or anything else. Right, so just make sure your forces are ready before going into combat, or I'm going to go to combat holding priority, I will crew this thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, so we're back to declare blockers. Um I've attacked, or Jimmy's attacked me with the land war elf. Is Heck that the yeah. scenario we're in? Oh, okay. you know it. And then he passed priority, and nobody did anything. Mm-hmm. Um, this is also interestingly, well, okay. So then it goes to me as the person being attacked, and I get to declare blockers, and that's the first thing I can do. At this point, I can't respond with like a lightning bolt or anything yet. I would have to block or declare blockers first. If you have no blockers, that's still declaring a blockers, right? Yeah, we still go through the turn-based action of declaring blockers, even if you have none, or even if you choose to not block at all. Mm-hmm. Right. So I say, oh, I'm going to block with my 2-2. And I declare that as blocker. Now, Jimmy's priority again, because he's the active player. Mm-hmm. He has the first um, chance to act. It's actually a, it's actually a, 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 da- a disadvantage in this case. This right. is the defender's advantage, whereas we get to see what Jimmy does if we want to respond as the defender. So if Jimmy wants to pump his creature in some way... I'll cast a giant growth on my land war elf at this point. Right. Making it a 4-4, killing your 2-2. Or it should kill your 2-2. However, because I did something on the stack, it is going to pass the priority around the table. So Josh now has a chance to respond. I mean, I'd get to respond even if he didn't cast the giant growth. Right. So let's say, I, for whatever reason, let's say I blocked with a 1-1 just to make this there a we little go. bit yeah, easier, yeah. right? You go land war elf. I say block with this... Deathrite Shamans are one, two. Yeah. Block with something that's Raging one. Raging Goblin. Token. That's untapped. I'm trying to think of something that's played in Commander. Sakura Tribe Elder. That's a two sure. one. That's uh, a one one as well. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it works. Yeah. So I block with my Sakura Tribe Elder. And then Jimmy gets priority and he says, I'm going to pump my creature in some way. Yeah. Now priority goes back to me. And this is a really good example because I go, oh, well, in that case, I'm going to sacrifice my Sakura Tribe Elder. Right. And go find a land. Right. Whereas maybe if I really didn't want Jimmy to have the land elf and I'm happy with the trade, if Jimmy says, and this is where we get into some, that thing we alluded to earlier, if in that same scenario, Jimmy says, okay, I do nothing, pass priority to you, Josh. If I do nothing here, Jimmy can't then say, wait, no, I'm in a giant growth. Yeah. Because there's no chance for Jimmy to get priority back before combat damage resolves. So I'm, it's, I'm in the driver's seat as a defender in that moment. But if I go, I'm going to sacrifice my secure tribe elder, Jimmy could respond in some way. Wouldn't mm-hmm. make sense to giant growth it then, though. Yeah, I mean, but there's <clears> something else that maybe I could have done where I was like, you know what? I needed that creature off the board because now I'm going to flash in an edict effect or whatever. Or, or and, know, and because Josh now speed. just has one creature left, he has to, you know, because he got rid of the elder, whatever it is. Some way to give it instant speed trample would be good then. Maybe, yeah, exactly. You know, that would be spicy. Yeah. yeah I mean, that I one damage one. coming in hot. <laughs> maybe I'm at one. I'm going to die to my own Phyrexian Arena. We don't yeah, know. Yeah, there you go. Okay. 
now we go to so declare attackers priorities passed declare blockers priorities passed once priority has been passed and no one's everyone's you know said i'm not doing anything else you resolve whatever happened and then you go to combat damage this is where it gets a little interesting because let's talk so at the beginning of the combat damage step (laughs) The damage happens. Yep. Right. Again, it's, it's a turn-based ha- action. Turn-based action. Similar mm-hmm. to the drawing the card, the declaring the attackers, the declaring the blockers. Those are all turn-based actions that, like, at the beginning of those steps, that thing happens, and after that, priority happens. So combat damage happens. Now, the way this gets slightly complicated is with first strike. Mm-hmm. So the way the game deals with first strike is if... Tell me if I get this right. Sure. If a first striker is declared as an attacker, mm-hmm. in that moment, it creates a first strike combat damage step. Uh, correct, yes. So if a first striker is, if there's no first striker involved in combat, there will not be a first strike combat damage step. Yeah, it's not Correct. something you skip over. It gets, it gets created when the creature attacks. Mm-hmm. Yep. So if you've got a first striker and it's involved in combat, there's going to be two combat damage steps. One for first strike in which case the first strike damage will happen at the beginning of that step, mm-hmm. and then people will get priority, mm-hmm. which means you can act between first strike damage and regular damage. We see this with, like, I don't know, Sword of Feast and Famine. I was going to say Umazawa's Jite. Umazawa's Jite right, is right. really good. Something like Tragic Slip or something with Morbid, you might be able to be like, oh, my first striker is going to kill their thing, and then now that something's died, it can Tragic Slip something else. Yeah, right. they may have been blocking something. Yeah, be- in between when the regular damage happens. So even burn spells are really good. Let's say it's a five toughness creature. You hit it for with three first strike, and then you use a burn spell to kill the last two, so it doesn't actually hit you back. Right. You can get rid of the creature before it's even gotten a chance to deal damage. So first strike is there's a lot of different ways to play with that priority there. Yeah. So then we we do first strike damage. That all resolves. Then I mean the damage happens, and then we do the priority thing. Mm-hmm. So Jimmy says, you know, I'm gonna burn the rest this creature the rest of the way down here in between combat, so it doesn't hit me back. And then we go to regular damage, and that damage, again, at the beginning of that step just happens. Uh, There's no interrupting that at that point. Mm -hmm. And then we're into pass priority again, and this is where um, we get to the end of combat step. Right. Before we actually go to this, I just remembered something. Uh, In declare blockers, if more than one blocker is declared on a particular creature, also at that point, as a turn-based action, the defending player picks the order of choosing or excuse me uh, the attacking player the attacking player uh, oh yeah we totally forgot that so let me ask you that happens again before priority is passed correct correct yeah turn-based action you declare multiple blockers i attack with my colossal dreadmaw right you block with the lawnmower elf and a grizzly bear and you say i'm gonna assign damage first to the grizzly bear and then to the lawnmower yeah well you don't assign damage yet you just choose blocker order right right and say oh i'm gonna go grizzly bear first and then uh lawnmower elf right and there's no interrupting that part of it. There's no point between blockers and assigning damage that we can... I mean, not assigning damage, just uh, order blockers. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, those are both turn-based actions. Once that's all said and done, then the active player gets priority and we pass priority again. Okay. All right, so now first strike damage happened. Combat damage happened. We're at the end of combat. This is the part where a lot of people have problems with this every time we, we utilize this. There's a moment at the end of the combat phase where creatures are still involved in combat. Mm-hmm. It's called the end of combat. They could have already dealt their damage. In fact, they did because first strike damage and regular damage happened. Mm-hmm. But they're still considered attackers and blockers at this moment. And at that moment, if you have instances that refer to attackers and blockers, you can you can use them. You can activate them. So um, 
Reconnaissance is the big one, which yeah. allows you to untap a creature that's in combat. Now, and we saw uh, um, Wedge use it after he swung with a creature, dealt the damage, and then used Reconnaissance to untap him. People were saying, you can't do that because he's done with combat. However, he's doing it at the end of combat step. Reconnaissance also says that creature neither deals or, nor receives damage this yeah. combat. Um, which the, doesn't matter after it's already done its thing. The game right. will not sort of time travel back and retroactively take away damage that happened. Right. It's like, hey, we'll prevent any damage from here, but combat damage is already over, so we're just going to do the other parts of it. Yep. Uh, settle the wreckage is another one that, like, let's say somebody attacked you with a ton of stuff, and you don't want to give them that many lands. You had a, f a few free blocks. You might block, wait till damage happened, kill a few of them, and then settle the last couple that yep. were left over. Those right. kinds of things. We'll see that in limited more often with, like, you know, destroy target attacking creature or whatever. Mm -hmm. Kill the little one. Do it to the big one that's left Kill over. Kill the little yeah. one. Okay. Woo, combat. So, whew, combat is crazy. Yeah. So after end of combat, we say, okay, does anybody have any effects? End of combat. Pass that priority around. Goes to your second main phase, which is identical to your first main phase. It's just the second one. It doesn't ha it's not called pre-combat main phase. It's called, called post-combat post -combat main, post -combat main <laughs> phase. <laughs> Science. If you, <laughs> if you didn't play a land, you can now play a land. And then... Works just like we've been talking, and we go towards the end step. And the way that we usually move to the end step is say... We talk about something cool outside the world of magic. <laughs> <laughs> we usually say, just, I'm going to pass the turn yeah. or whatever. If we have uh, if we have end step triggers that are happening, then a lot of times people will say, I move to my end step, and this happens. Right. Um, but we're implicitly sort of stating, like, I'm going to go to my end step. I pass priority. Mm -hmm. And that's where Cedric took advantage of, saying, like, nope, we're not in your end step yet, and I actually want to do something before we get there. Right. right. Uh, but most of the time, people just go into the end step. And then the end step works a lot like the upkeep, in that there's a beginning of end step triggers that will occur at that point. Flicker Wisp is one, right? Yeah. Teferi's right. Time Twist that we just talked about with Cedric yeah. is another one that creates a delayed trigger that just happens. There's all kinds of, like, sneak attacks and things like that that will happen at the end step. And Murph, who was one of the people that helped us put together the, the outline for this, said you can think of the end step and the cleanup step, which are sort of the, the ending of phase two things, almost like untap and upkeep in reverse order. Oh, very nice. That's almost. a good way to think about it. Almost. <laughs> There's some differences. So just like the upkeep, we go to the end step, and this is where the end step triggers happen. happen. And again, it's active player, not active player. So if, if Jimmy had, you know his flicker whisk or whatever yeah. mm -hmm. he would stack it after my um my end step triggers happen so right uh we've already covered that and then okay so then again um end step's not quite over yeah right so there's what's the oh oh we we, we tried to come up come up with examples for all of this stuff so i guess the flip flicker whisk example is better than this one we were saying if you had death reap ritual and someone else has Archfiend of Depravity. Right, which kills creatures. Yeah, it says choose to sacrifice the rest. Does it say yeah. each player's end step? Yeah. That it says? yeah. yeah. So that's so, actually an example where it doesn't work. Because a creature has died during the end step, it's not at the beginning of the end step, which right. again is uh, harkening back to the Teferi's uh, Time Twister that, uh, that Cedric cast, right? Yeah. right? Once you have entered into the end step, anything that says at the beginning of the end step, uh, if, if the conditions were not met, it's not going to trigger until the next end step. Okay, so... If it again, it's all dependent on the card. Just like the upkeep, beginning of end step triggers, they happen, they get stacked, they resolve, we respond to them, then pass priority. I have nothing else in my end step. Can I go to my cleanup phase? Mm -hmm. And then you guys say yes. Now we go to the cleanup step. And this is, 
again, we're gonna say similar to the untap step, but it's not the exact same. So damage wears off your creatures at this point. This is the moment where, you know, if somebody's whatever, 8-8 eight, eight has taken four damage, uh, or has taken five damage, you can't lightning bolt and finish it off anymore. Effects that say until end of turn wear off. So like your active treason type effects, insurrection mm -hmm. would wear off at this point. You And then you discard down to the maximum hand size. So you discard down to seven cards generally. If you have nine cards, you'd have to discard two. The way this is similar to the untapped step is that no actions can be willfully taken. However, unlike the untapped step, if any triggers occur during the cleanup phase, they have to be resolved before the turn moves on to the next player. Mm -hmm. So whereas on the untapped step, if a trigger happened like inspired, mm -hmm. that gets pushed into upkeep. On the cleanup step, if a trigger happens, there's no place to push it. So it has to be resolved within the cleanup phase. End of the line, buddy. So <laughs> the interesting thing here, and it comes up a lot, and this is actually one of the reasons we even did this episode is because our buddy Kyle was talking about a, a Gitrog monster deck that he played against and how in the end step, it went to cleanup phase, had eight cards, discarded a land. Gitrog triggers there to draw your card whenever a land enters the battle or enters your graveyard from anywhere and then drew another card. Well, that player is at eight cards, discarded another land, drew a card, discarded a land, drew a card, and just continued to do that and went through like 20 cards mm -hmm. on their turn or whatever. And this is totally legal. At the moment, we were like, what the heck? And we were Googling it because I was like, I don't know exactly how that works. Uh, because, again, there's no place else to push those triggers to. Right, which is discard to your maximum hand size. Mm -hmm. An interesting thing we found when researching this was, like, if you have Necropotence out, mm -hmm. you have to discard to hand size maybe there. The way Necropotence is worded, the creature card will actually hit your graveyard, and you could instant speed, like, recur it before Necropotence would exile it, I believe. Because Necropotence trigger goes on the stack anytime a creature would, or a card would enter your graveyard, it gets exiled instead? It doesn't say instead. Oh, it just gets exiled? I believe. Yes, that creates trigger in your cleanup step. Now, if it said the in word hand. instead, you wouldn't be able to right. respond to it because that wouldn't be a trigger, correct? Correct. That would be a replacement yeah. effect. So, so it sees the graveyard for a hot second before ne Necropotence's trigger exiles it. And you go so, Gorio's Vengeance it, and then you yeah. get it until the next end step of your opponent or whatever. That's spicy. <laughs> Very spicy. <laughs> okay. What a turn. Wow. So that was the turn. That was priority. That and all was... we did was attack with like a Lanamar Elves. <laughs> that was pretty boring, man. <laughs> I mean, there was a Colossal Dreadmaw in there oh, that's somewhere. True. That, yeah, a 6-6 six, six gun there. Um, okay, so hopefully this was of some interest to you. Maybe you learned some things. I know I did when we were putting this together. Murph mm. and I were both like, really? That's how that works? Yeah. We were playing Magic 4 forever. So hopefully there were some interesting things in there uh, that kind of gives you an idea of how stuff's supposed to work, when you're supposed to act, and also when your windows of opportunity are. Yeah. Because when stuff starts to get complicated, you can be looking for that moment. You know, one of the tricks we used to talk about was that Dead Eye Navigator when the soul bond trigger goes on the stack is mm -hmm. when you have to go to remove it. Because if you let that soul bond thing happen, they're just going to blink it again in response. And those little tricks you can learn about cards often make them, at first they seem like unbeatable. And then it's like, no, I just have to know. When is my opportunity to strike? Right. Yeah. When the stack, yeah. how things are getting stacked and where those things are. And a lot of that is just communication with your play group. Yeah. And if you're a player that has learned magic through arena, I, this is definitely something that's going to be very unintuitive to you because the game takes a lot of steps for you. I would recommend... Try playing a game just holding down full control the entire time to see when you get an option to do stuff. And that's going to give you a better idea of, okay, this is what it's like if I responded to every single moment when I have an ability to do something, take an action, and have priority. I, I want to, I wanna, as a final thought here, just say a couple of things, which is like all the shortcuts we use right now in Commander are good. You should totally keep doing them. They help the game flow 
and they're ultimately better for everybody. And I know a lot of times people, they get up in arms about, even in game nights, we'll shortcut some things. But you want the game, like you said, most of the rules are actually trying to make the game flow in the way that we actually play it. Yeah. You're a judge. Do you rules layer? Uh, no, I don't at all. Like, it, <laughs> like if people ask me questions, like, yeah, that's when we slow it down and go step by step and we're extra granular. But right. yeah, like you guys are talking about, the point of the rules is to make it so it intuitively makes the game have a normal tempo. Mm-hmm. But we have the actual rules to reference if something comes up. Yeah. I mean, in, if cool. you're going to lightning bolt a giant growth in response, there's not a lot of prior passing priority that actually has to happen there. Mm-hmm. Lightning bolt, giant growth. Okay, cool. That's You don't need to be like, I pass priority. I do this. What does the stack look like? You don't have to yeah. do any of that stuff. So um, we're not advocating for anybody to, to rules layer. Um, th- that's not what this is. It's really just a way so that you can know what's happening when, so you can understand it. Because yeah. what we don't want to happen is, like I said, with the Deadeye Navigator thing, where it just seems like it's unbeatable, but actually, you it, oh, if you broke it down and understood how it worked, you'd be like, oh, well, here's the moment in time where I can pick it apart and actually, because magic is about, you know, that's the really unique thing about the game, yeah. being able to respond to almost anything. There's a possibility of being able to like thwart almost anything. Yeah, and, and Josh made a great point in the outline here, which is don't try and outrule someone as a way of gaining an advantage. I see this happen at pre-releases, unfortunately, a lot where someone just doesn't realize, oh, that's how the game works, and the other person will take advantage of that. And that, I think, leads to the most feel-bad moments, because instead of winning strategically through, you know, like a, a decision you made in the game, you're winning off of what almost feels like a technicality, which is never nice. Right. Never no, of course feels not. good. No oh. one wants to see that happen. All right, to the listeners, are there any crazy stack or priority interactions from your uh, many games over the years that you want to share with us? Is there anything that got so confusing that you weren't even sure, you know, how to figure it out? What did you do in that case? How did you resolve all that? We've definitely had they the did, ones where they we're did like, this. Yeah. judge. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you're at home and you're playing. We've definitely had those where we're like, I don't know. I think this is probably what happens. Let's yeah. just do it. If, as long as everybody's cool with it. I mean... You know, we're not, make we're not friends playing. with judges too. Yeah, hey, that helps too. Yeah, for and, sure. Uh, if you don't have a Magic Judge friend, I do want to plug a quick resource. You yeah. can oh, go yes. to magicjudges.org. It's a community website that yes. has blog articles, uh, good like reference guides. Also, there's like an IRC chat room and Judge it's like a live chat. chat window. Yeah, exactly. I send so, everyone there. Yeah, so yeah, log into there if you have a rules question in real time. There's judges all over the world that can probably answer your question. Yeah. Yeah, don't tweet at Jimmy and I because we get rules questions all the time. Listen, I'll try and answer, but you should always know, and I always put the caveat on I'm not a judge, so I'm going to tell you what I think, but I could totally be wrong, Yeah, and you should ask I don't even judge. do that anymore. Yeah. I just send them to judge chat. Yeah, like, that's I, I don't do. want to mess up. There are judges that are sitting in there, and they, you know, judges are probably the greatest community resource that we have in terms of tournament magic and all that stuff. So if without their tireless work and being in this IRC chat all the time, we wouldn't have answers a lot of times to the crazy things that happen to magic. Yeah, magic mm-hmm. is nuts. Uh, something else that's nuts, but nuts awesome. Good it's awesome. Cardkingdom.com slash command zone. If you want to pick up, you know, some Crows and Grips, maybe some oh, more, yeah. maybe some morph creatures or maybe some Lanwar elves. I don't know, just because they're good. Go to cardkingdom.com slash command zone. Use our affiliate link. You really are supporting this show, game nights, all of our content. It helps us out a lot. And the same goes for Ultra Pro as well. You can pick that stuff up at cardkingdom.com slash command zone or at your LGS, your local game store or big box retailers. Ultra Pro stuff is everywhere. Yeah. And it's Great. awesome. Yeah. Okay, now it's time. Danny, are you ready? I think I'm ready. Let's let's find out. This is time for our end step, and I'm going to pass priority to Danny. Do yep. you have uh, any responses, or do you want to? Can we move to the end step? In response, <laughs> yes. I've got a silly story for you. Okay, okay. so uh, so magic is one of my main hobbies. I'm very uh-huh. into it. Uh, do you guys know what my other hobby is? Not yet. No. Not yet. So uh, I play roller derby. Oh, you really? do? Really? Yes. 
Wow. Yeah. Roller derby's so cool. Yeah. In addition to that. I've uh, never seen a lot of bruises on you and stuff. Well, uh, that's because I've gotten pretty good at roller skating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I know how to play pretty well. Uh, I've been playing for a long time, since 2010, and I actually started off as a referee, which ah. I, clearly I like to volunteer and be involved in like rules and helping out in that mm-hmm. capacity. And also just, I kind of like to be good at learning rules because I think that aids in strategy, both in magic, right. roller derby and lots of other things. But yeah. So you actually started as a ref and then transitioned into playing? Yeah. And I still wow, do both. Cool. Yeah. Oh, you still I, do both? I referee with uh, LA's uh, like predominant or uh, sorry, um, like major top ranked women's team. Uh, they're oh, called cool. Angel City Derby. Yep. Yep. And um, yeah, my team's called Golden State Heat. You can check them out if you want. Ooh. When you play, yeah. Uh, so we There's actually so have a, a game next, <laughs> a next this upcoming weekend. So uh, that cool. should be fun. And my team, I didn't go this weekend because I'm finishing up with the university, so I'm very busy. But my team was in Oregon last weekend at a tournament, and they did really well. They won two games, like total blowouts, and one game was a 25 point loss. It was like 170 to 140 something close. to the number three ranked team in the world. So, wow. so you guys are good. That is we're pretty close. Getting, we're getting yeah, better. Pretty good. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Or, that's what, where Josh is from too, Oregon. Yeah. What's Honestly, your What's your favorite thing about roller derby? Uh, my favorite thing about roller derby is, um, so I'm a otherwise lethargic person and right. uh, I just don't care about normal sports. When I first was exposed to this, I was like, wow, this is interesting. And my friend was like, hey, you should start refereeing. Give it a try. So one thing I love about it is it gets me in shape. It's my gym membership. So I, sure. I'm intrinsically motivated to like sweat and get tired and like play a contact sport, which I never thought I would like or do, <laughs> uh, especially because like I'm very much so like a magic player kind of person. I'm not like, yeah, a, yeah football, which you know, <laughs> no disrespect. Football's an interesting sport. It's just not for me. Um, so yeah, roller derby could be pretty br- brutal too. Dude, though. I've I mean, seen some people get yeah. slam dunks in that sport, man. Because mm-hmm. I, I I was watching some LA stuff because someone told me they they play for a Team like Max. Like I'm gonna watch some videos. I was like, oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've seen some gashes and some like, yeah. Some yeah. Brutal stuff. I broke Which, my leg in 2014. I was just wow. say, is that your worst injury from roller derby? Yeah, yeah, a spiral fracture of my left uh, tibia and fibula. So Jeez. I also tore my right meniscus in 2017. So I mean. Look, I, w- I weigh 155 pounds, and I play with, like, football linebacker-shaped guys. Yeah. And uh, it's a full-contact sport. We we, uh, we wear pads. There's rules, but, like, it's not perfect, right? So, right, right. But it's a ton of fun, and ultimately it's worth it. So. And there's yeah. good spirit of the game. People, Absolutely. Yeah. It, it seems like one of those games where people don't take that seriously. They take it seriously, but not seriously to the point where it's – let's say it was the same with, like, Ultimate Frisbee for me in college. Too. Sure, yeah. It's, it's like any other sort of amateur, like, community-oriented sport. It's right. actually a lot like Magic, too. Like, most people playing Magic have a great time playing Magic because they're there to, like – like experience playing with their cards and playing with their friends, right? Yeah. Um, there's a very small percentage of people who are there strictly to try to win tournaments and stuff, and it's kind of like that in other sports too. But for the most part, everyone everyone benefits from everyone else having a good time as well. You know? Yeah. Totally. Oftentimes, you'll see the roller derby teams like they're all at the bar together after. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, we definitely common. love to after yeah. party together, and yeah. it's great. Oh, absolutely. That's awesome, man. You're well. You're you're tougher than I thought you were. Jeez. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Make sure to check out our sister podcast, The Masters of Modern. Alex Kessler and Ben Bateman. They talk about the modern format and all things competitive magic you can find them if you just type in masters of modern into the search bar on youtube they're at collected.company right next to us or you can follow them on twitter at the mmcast and modern horizons is coming up so i'm sure there are going to be a lot more new rules questions mm-hmm. that come into play with all those cards uh our editors for the show are ashlyn rose josh murphy Murph. who helped in the assistance of making the outline today so big shout out there and jared lafreniere Special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer, who makes the awesome living card animations behind us. On set today, we are looking at a pristine Bolas' Citadel, pre-Bolas' Citadel, right? Yeah, this is, I'm not sure what the card is, but 
It is that is the Citadel back there, but it's not from the card bullets. Yeah, I don't yeah. Know. It, things haven't gone badly yet. Yeah, it this seems. is things, some things part are earlier in the story peaceful. where yeah. the rocket ship towers are taking off. Evidently, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, hi. They're just dra- <laughs> they're just draining themselves. They're like, the oh, bullets is on the way. Let's Later. let's get out of here. We're going to Mars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can find Jeffrey online at Living Cards MTG on Twitter, and he also does the opening and closing animations for the show at YouTube.com/slash Commands of Podcast. So make sure you check that out if you want to see all of our faces, including this face right here. Danny's. Danny, do you have any uh, social media that you'd like to plug? Uh, sure. Uh, I'm on Twitter as Ruth Bader Ginsburg, B-I-R-D. Nice. Awesome. And um, sorry, did I say Twitter? I meant to say Twitch. Twitch. That's oh, my Twitch. Twitch user. My oh, okay. Twitter is Danny Sims Music. I used to do music stuff. And um, yeah. Man, of, that, man of many talents. If you have a lot, lot of rules of questions, questions. Yeah. Tweet at, uh, tweet at Danny Sims Music instead of Josh Lee Quiet. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I will respond to your tweet in 280 characters less. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to answer your rules question in that short amount of time. All right, everybody. Thanks for watching. And thank you, Dan, for coming on. We will see you next time. Peace. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs>